Excellent. If you've got your Bibles, if you can turn to 1 Timothy and chapter 3. Um, this is our, like Mike said, this is our, our second week where we're going to be looking at, at deacons, kind of exploring the office of deacons. This, these couple of weeks have been a long time coming in the sense that it was uh, May time when we had a family meeting and we, uh, we explained how, for Mike and myself, we'd really been looking at church and church leadership, the kind of model we want to, to have in place here in Faversham. And we spent some time talking about uh, kind of different models of leadership. And when we looked at the scriptures, what we saw coming through uh, was, was the, this uh, leadership team really of, of elders, those who have the, the governance and oversight of the church working alongside deacons. Uh, so in that meeting in May, we said we were going to spend some time over the summer really studying that, uh, getting into that and exploring what that could look like for us here at uh, the Community Church in Faversham. Um, uh, and then uh, we wanted to kind of be able to feed back to you, which really is what the purpose of these couple of weeks is, to feed back to you with where we're at, uh, the point that we've come to. As we've discussed this over the past few months, we've read a lot of scripture, we've read, read a lot of books, a lot of papers, listened to a lot of talks. Um, so really, it, what you're getting in the space of, of two half an hour talks is like five to six months worth of study coming together. So it could well be that it feels like there's quite a lot of information coming across. Um, but say so we just feel like we just want to share with you where we're at. And we're really encouraging you, particularly in growth groups, to have time where you can feed back to discuss this. If there are things that you think are particularly good or strong about what we are looking to do, if there's anything that would concern you, any questions, uh, things you would need clarifying and clarity on, then please do keep feeding those back, particularly through growth group leaders. Um, we would really, really appreciate appreciate that. So that's where we are with things. So last week, Mike was focusing very much on the on on the what really. What are deacons? What is the function of deacons? What is the purpose of deacons? And essentially, uh, what Mike was saying was that deacons are servants. That's what the word is translated in the Greek. Deacon means servant, and that's what deacons do. They serve. The deacon role can be a bit hard to define because when you look through scripture, uh, even though it mentions deacons, it doesn't necessarily give you uh, the real specifics of what the deacons did. What it appears is that the deacons uh, primarily were helping to meet the material and practical needs of the church and also were given responsibility for certain areas of the church that they were to, to lead and to look after and to care for. Uh, and what, what it particularly appears is one... Um, when you have deacons operating in this, in this office, in this area, what it does is it frees up the elders of the church uh, to, to fulfill their primary function, which is uh, to dedicate themselves to, the, to prayer and to the teaching of the word for the oversight and governance of the church. And I think Mike said last week that, you know, for, for Mike and myself, we both realise, and this is something that people have come to us about and shared with us about, is that Mike and myself are, are doing a lot of things that perhaps we don't necessarily, don't necessarily need to. And so we're looking for ways in which to, to hand responsibility over to people in order that it would free us up so it would be good. It should look to benefit the church in a whole host of ways. So deacons, they guard the elders' priorities. That's what we see coming through in the teaching. And we live in a world, I think, can, not just today, but particularly at the time when the church was getting established, uh, the world can look upon serving as perhaps a, a demeaning thing, bit of an unattractive thing, even the word serving can carry some fairly negative connotations with it. Uh, but actually having deacons in the church emphasises the high status of serving. They are to be role models of servanthood. 
Jesus is the ultimate example of what servanthood looks like. And the church should reflect that. So actually having people uh, dedicated really to serve in the church really prioritises and emphasises the high status of serving. So if you haven't listened to Mike's talk, it's online. Please do have a listen. There's a lot that he covers through, through there. I've given a very, very brief summary of that. So if last week was looking at the question of what, today we'll be focusing on the question of who. Who can be a deacon? What qualifies someone to be a deacon? And this passage in 1 Timothy 3 is, is really the, the um, it's kind of the main verses really that tell us um, what we should be looking for in deacons and the kind of qualifications that a deacon should have. So we're going to start from verse 8 and this follows on directly from when uh, the qualifications of elders have been given. So again, elders, overseers, those who have the governing authority to, to, to oversee the church and responsibility for the church. Uh, in, in the letter, Paul's already given the qualifications for elders. Now he goes on to give the qualifications for deacons, which is what we're going to be picking up on. So he says in verse 8, he says that deacons likewise must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. And let them also be tested first, then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives, likewise, must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves, and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. So what Paul does here is Paul presents us with some very clear and definite criteria that are to be used in identifying deacons within the church. And one thing that is hugely important that we recognise is that as we look through the qualifications of deacons, there is nothing there about skill, there's nothing there about gifting, there's nothing there about ability. If you look, all of the qualifications that are given are about character. Their character issues, the ways in which someone behaves, the way in which someone engages with other people, the way in which someone manages themselves. So it's all about character. Again, going back to last week, Mike said that a deacon may not be the most gifted person in that area of, of service that they've been given to. You could have other people in the church that perhaps are more gifted or talented. The reason why Mike said that deacons might not be the most skillful or the most gifted is because of these verses here. Because actually what we're looking for in deacons is qualifications based on character. While we would look, you want a certain element of skill or competence in an area. You wouldn't want to give someone responsibility over something that they have perhaps no skill or competence in. That would not be a wise thing to do. But those... Uh, that is not the qualifier. The qualifier is character, someone's character. Essentially, deacons are to exhibit lives that have been shaped by the gospel. Deacons exhibit lives that are being shaped by the gospel, those who are maturing and becoming more and more like Jesus. That's what good character is. It's becoming more and more like Jesus, displaying the character of Jesus, becoming more and more like him. There's an American evangelist and, and preacher uh, called D.L. Moody uh, and one of the things that he said about character he said that character is what a man is in the dark I think that's a very interesting thing to say character is what a man is in the dark what he's saying there is character is how a man 
uh, or how someone would, would carry themselves and behave even if no one else is looking. That's the thing that shows through. It's all very well to present yourself in one way if people are looking at you, but it's quite another to have that consistency when no one else is looking. That's when your real character shows through. That's where your attitudes and your behaviour, the way you think about things, the way you act, that really will show itself, even when you, particularly when you think no one else is watching. He also said, if I take care of my character, my reputation will take care of itself. What a brilliant thing to say. If I take care of my character, my reputation will take care of itself. If your character is good, it will be recognised. If your character is good, you will build a good reputation. People will, people will see that. And people will, will, will think well of those people that have good character. Now, this is true of all of us. We should all be seeking to grow in character. We should all be seeking to grow into becoming more and more like Jesus. But if Paul's focus is, is on character, then deacons should be those who have good reputations within the church, but also outside the church. You want your deacons to be people that are well thought of, well respected, that have that good reputation, because it's a reflection of who they are, or it's a, a, a recognition, sorry, of who they are and of what their character is. And this morning, what we're going to be doing is looking at these aspects of character. We're going to be working through this passage in Timothy. We're going to look at what each of those aspects is. But... Last week, Mike said that I would be addressing whether or not women could serve as deacons. That was something specifically that Mike had said. Now, in the world today, to suggest that, there's something, that a woman can't do something that a man can uh, is, is a fairly contentious thing to say. Uh, it can bring a lot of uh, disagreement, perhaps a lot of argument. It can be a sensitive, it can be a sensitive subject. What I want to say here is we want to be a people who are not shaped by what the world would expect us to be like. We want to be a people who are shaped by what the scripture would tell us that we should be like. So we want to be a people shaped by scripture. And it's important for me to say that we believe, we totally believe uh, in... Sorry, let me go back a little bit before that. We do. We believe in the equality of men and women. I want to make that very clear. We utterly believe in the equality of men and women. Both made in the image of God, but portraying different aspects of his nature and his character. So equal, created equal, but with complementary roles. That is how we would understand what, what scripture would reveal to us. From scripture, we are convinced that eldership is, is to be male. That's why you have Mike and myself. It's a male office in, in the sense that the overall governance of the church, the authority that's been given by God for the oversight and care of the church ultimately is male. So what then of deacons? And that's the important, uh, it's going to form an important part of what I say this morning. One of the, the articles, one of the papers that we read specifically addressed this subject. It said, can women... I think the title was something along the lines of Can Women Become Deacons? It makes a really, really helpful point that I want us to start with. It says that the New Testament would suggest that deacons were people to whom responsibility was dedicated, uh, delegated for specific aspects of the life and ministry of the church. But they were not given any personal authority over the life of the church. So there's a clear distinction here. The authority remained with the elders. Okay, the authority remained with the elders who continued to serve as the overseers and the shepherds of the church. So there's that very clear distinction there between the elders and the deacons. 
So I'm going to go a little bit deeper into some, some scripture in a minute to explain how Mike and I got to the position that we have, to, we have. But our position is this. If deacons are those who serve the church through meeting physical and material needs or having responsibility for areas of church life and ministry that does not involve governing activity over the whole of the church, then it is appropriate for both men and women to serve in these roles. So we would say, yes, both men and women as deacons. So long as there is that distinction that the overall governing authority is for the elders and that the role and the work of the deacons does not encroach onto that. There is that clear distinction. So we would say we've got to that point where we would say that both men and women can serve as deacons. I'll unpack a little bit more as we go through just to show you how we've got to this point. We have spent a lot of time prayerfully considering and discussing this studied both sides of the discussion because there are strong discussions on both sides of, of the conversation as to whether women can or cannot be deacons. And the reason that there is disagreement is because the scriptures are unclear on it. So that's the reason why there is that disagreement. I've said we want to be those who are built on scripture and we can say that we are comfortable with, with women being deacons scripturally. As I say, I'm going to unpack a little bit more of that in a minute, just to show you how we've got to this point. <coughs> so really the next bit to look at is, so what then do we make of 1 Timothy 3? Because as we read 1 Timothy 3, it appears in this passage of scripture that the deacons are men. Particularly from the, the translation that I read out. Okay? So, the, these are, so I'm going to take you through a, a, few, a few things that Mike and I looked at to, to how we got to this the place where we are. The first thing is this, depending on what translation of the Bible you're reading from, verse 11 of 1 Timothy 3 will either read their wives likewise or women likewise. It depends what translation you have. I read it out of the, the ESV. It says their wives likewise. I think in the NIV it might read women likewise. It will depend on what translation you read because the word that is used, the original Greek word that is used can be translated either way. It can either be translated as wives or as women. So if, in your Bible, if it says they're wives, if you look in the footnotes of the Bible, it would probably say something like, or women, likewise, in my, which is what it says in mine. Other translations, it might say women. If you look in the footnotes, it would say, or their wives. So it can be translated either way. And your translation will depend, uh, however it's interpreted, will generally depend on kind of uh, the, where where the people that have, have put the translation together from what side of the argument they would, they would find themselves standing on, essentially. So there's potentially a little bit of bias in that, in that sense as to what word is used. So the Greek, it could be talking about men and women deacons, depending on how that word is translated. The second thing for us to consider is that in 1 Timothy 3, verses 8 to 10, and in 1 Timothy 3, verse 12, the qualifications are given for deacons. The word deacon is used. It's explicit. This is what deacons are to be like. This is what deacons are to be like. Then sandwiched between these is verse 11 that says, likewise, the women, or whatever your interpretation would say. So it's sandwiched between these verses that are explicitly about deacons, which could lend itself to the idea that it's, part, it's all part of explaining what deacons are. That's, an, that's one way of looking at it. Again, that's another approach you can take to looking at it. Another thing that we considered was this. The qualifications that Paul lays out for women in verse 11 are very similar and have parallels with those qualifications required of deacons in verse 8. 
if you look at them, there's real similarities there. It's not like we're talking about completely different traits of character. They're very similar. So verse 8, it says they're to be, um, they're to be dignified. And then of the women in verse 11, it says they're to be dignified. Deacons, not double-tongued. In verse 11, it says not slanderers. It's very similar. Not addicted to much wine, parallels with sober-minded. Not greedy for dishonest gain, faithful in all things. So there's real similarity between what the characteristics are actually expecting of, the, of, of those parties. And, the, uh, and fourth, on this, on this passage of Scripture, we have to ask ourselves the question, why would Paul give a list of spe- special qualifications for the wives of deacons, but not to the wives of the elders or the overseers of the church? Paul doesn't mention anything about the way that wives of elders are meant to be. So it's a good question to ask. Why then would he expect the wives of deacons to have certain characteristics, if not for the elders? And I think for me and Mike, that was a very important part of the discussion that we had. Another scripture that we we should consider is in the book of Romans. Romans 16, verse 1. Uh, It's towards the end of the letter. And this is what Paul writes. He says, I commend to you our sister Phoebe... A servant of the church at Kenkray, Senkray, however that would be pronounced. Here's the thing the word deacon and the word servant are exactly the same. Remember, that's what Mike was saying yesterday. The word comes from diakonos, which means servant, deacon, servant. In my interpretation of the Bible, it reads as Phoebe, a servant. Other translations of the Bible would read Phoebe, a, a deacon. It's the same word that's being used. Following on from mentioning Phoebe, Paul lists a number of other men and women in the church that he wants to to kind of uh, draw attention to, to say how well they're doing in the way that they're helping, the way that they're serving. All of them are serving, but it's only for Phoebe that 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 word diakonos, whether translated deacon or servant, is used. That noun is used for her and her alone, even though it draws on a lot of other people and says how well they're doing. It's only for Phoebe that that's used. And Paul also uses the phrase of the church. He says that she is a servant or deacon of the church, which may point to a more recognised ministry or position of responsibility, just in the way that that is phrased. So this is some of the, some of the things that Mike and I were looking at, uh, and that's to the point where we're at. We feel it actually tips in favour of having both men and women deacons. We understand that that might not be how it might not be either your, your experience or what you understand it to be like. So I would say this, if you want to talk to me or Mike about it, we are very open to do that. So please do come and speak to us. We'd like to just talk that through if that is, if you've got questions or if, if, if you just wanna, want us to clarify anything or share any concerns or anything, please do come and speak to us on that. But we felt that we should just clarify where we're at and just to explain some of the journey of how we got to that place. So what are the qualifying character traits that we're looking for in the deacons? When addressing the men in verse 8 and the women in verse 11, like I said, the first characteristic for both is that they must be dignified. They must be dignified. They should be sincere. They should be worthy of respect. They should be honourable. This is something that's observable in the way that someone behaves, in the way they carry themselves, in the way that they engage with other people. So we're looking for people that would be worth, essentially worthy of respect. Do they live a life that should command respect from other people? That people would look at them and say, yes, I could, 
um, I could uh, I can respect them I could be led by them in that sense verse 8 not double tongued parallels with verse 11 that says not slanderers both of these are with a focus on the tongue use of the words if someone is double tongued they're the kind of people that will say one thing to one person and then say something else to another person. Really, that's what double tongue means. Or, they'll be the type of people that will say one thing and do another. What they do doesn't, doesn't match up with what they will say. They're people who are double tongued are not sincere. They're not truthful. They don't say, they say what they think people, uh, they say what they think people want to hear rather than what should be said or what they need to hear. That's what double tongued people are like. Likewise, slanderers are those that make false accusations. They don't speak the truth. They gossip. So if individuals are double-tongued or slanderers, sorry, individuals that are double-tongued or slanderers, they're a danger to community. They're a danger to relationships. They're a danger to, to unity. You can't trust what they'll say. You can't necessarily believe that if they say one thing to you, they're going to say the same thing to someone else. They, there's that element of... There's a danger there, that, that there could be a breakdown of relationship or community there. Proverbs 10.18 says, Whoever utters slander is a fool. That proverb pulls no punches, because that word fool is a very strong word. It can be translated as stupid or arrogant. Anyone that slanders essentially is stupid or arrogant. That's the way that the Bible looks upon it. And then Paul, when he's talking about what new life in Jesus looks like, so for those who have been saved by Jesus... New life, he says, looks like this. In Ephesians 4.31, he says, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamour and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Slander is not, should not be a part of the, of, of, the, of the walk of someone who's walking with Jesus. It's not compatible with the new life of Christ. James 5.12 says, Above all, my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. What he's saying there is essentially, your word should be enough. You should be a people who uh, have got such an excellent track record with being truthful, being true to your word, that when, if you say yes to someone, I will do that, or no, I can't do that, or whatever, your word should be enough. They should be able to trust that. So deacons should be people of their words. They should be known for telling the truth. They should be known for telling their truth in love. Telling the truth in the right way. Verse 8. Not addicted to much wine. Parallels with verse 11. They should be sober-minded. This isn't saying that deacons shouldn't drink. Don't think that the Bible teaches total abstinence. What it is saying here is that the emphasis is on self-control. Deacons should be people who are self-controlled. They should not be governed by addiction or compulsion... Deacons should be capable of saying no when offered alcohol. They should be that, you know, they should be in control of themselves. Deacons should be sober-minded. That means they should be level-headed, self-restrained, able to demonstrate moderation. Again, it's all coming back to this idea of self-control. Those that are kind of, um, I think one term used for it was that, like self-mastery. I think that's a very helpful way of understanding it. Ephesians 5.18 says, Do not get drunk on wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. It's true of all of us. 
But Paul's saying here that should be true of your deacons. They should actually be those who are full of the Spirit. Uh, uh, filled with the Spirit, not those that will get drunk on wine. Then we've got these last parallels. Verse 8, not greedy for dishonest gain. Parallels with verse 11, faithful in all things. Remember, the word deacon means servant. Deacons are servants. Essentially, deacons are not in it for themselves. They're not in it to see what they can gain for themselves, for what they can achieve for themselves. They're not to take advantage of others for their own gain or profit or benefit. Instead, they're to be trustworthy in everything. There is to be nothing deceitful, nothing dishonest about them. You want your deacons to be people that you can rely on. People that you can, you can rely on, trustworthy in all things. Speaking to someone in church recently, they'd uh, gone for a meal a few weeks ago and they said how, how poor the whole experience was. Because when, uh, I think they went up to order their food, they said they were pretty much ignored. The people who were serving them, the people that had taken the order, didn't really care much for the experience that they were getting. They were just more concerned about having a laugh among themselves, among the staff. It just seemed like all they wanted to do was to be there for, pick up their cheque, and how they served the people didn't really matter was what came across. And they walked away from there to the extent that they were, they were telling me about what a, what a poor experience they had had. Uh, me, Steph and Eva have recently been on holiday. And that holiday was the absolute contrast to this experience that someone else had. We went to a holiday park and I'll say this. Every member of staff that we came across was really polite, really helpful. They took an interest in you. It's like they really cared about what they were doing. You got a sense that they were really enjoying their role. They were enjoying being able to serve you. We walked away from there talking to one another. It was something that we recognised and how thankful we were. It's something that you recognise and are like, how good is that? That you feel like you're noticed, like you feel like you're cared for, like you feel like you're significant. And that someone is happy to serve you and someone to look after you. It's like they enjoyed their jobs, enjoyed what they were doing. As deacons care for a congregation's need, that is how it should feel. It should feel like you are cared for, like you are, like you are wanted, like you are noticed. Not that they're just in it for themselves and you don't matter. They're not in it for themselves. They're not in it for dishonest gain. They're faithful and trustworthy in everything to the extent that they, um, those who are, are being served, those who are being cared for, um, feel, feel that, that they're cared for and that they're important. Paul also says that deacons are to hold to the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. It means they're to hold firm to the gospel. They're to hold firm to the good news of Jesus, his life, death and resurrection. They're to be sound in the faith. Their trust should be in Jesus alone for salvation. With clear conscience means that they're living out what they believe in. It's one thing to say you believe something, but with clear conscience means that their lifestyle reflects it. They're living it out. Ephesians 4, verse 1 to 3. Again, Paul writing to the church in Ephesus says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of of peace. Essentially, we should walk in a manner that's worthy of the calling that's been given to us. Our lives should reflect the wonder of the gospel that has been given to us. Our lives should reflect that. Then comes an interesting verse in verse 10. 
Verse 10, saying about the deacons, says, Let them also be tested first, and let them, uh, then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. So there's an element of testing that's being brought in here. Many jobs, uh, I know this has been my experience in some jobs, probably is fairly common in most jobs, you have that probation period. So essentially you're given the job for a while, uh, and then as they see you kind of working things through on the job, they're observing you, seeing how you get on, and then there's a conversation that's had at the end of the probation period as to whether you would carry on in that role or not. This is not my understanding of what testing should be in terms of the deacons. I understand this not as being an additional test, but more of an examination of a person's life, based upon the criteria that Paul's already laid out in this passage. It's thoughtful and careful evaluation of a person's character. I heard a really helpful illustration on this. I can't remember who said it, but they were talking about uh, the example of pre-flight checks. If you're going on a plane, all of the pre-flight checks, they're called pre-flight for a reason. It's done before the flight. You don't wait until you're up in the air and then check that all the instruments and all the planes working fine. There's that testing and that checking that goes on before the, the flight takes place. And I thought that was really helpful in the sense they were saying, in terms of the, the examination and the testing of deacons, that should be done beforehand. It's something that is done. Because if you look at what Paul's saying, he says, let them be tested first, then let them serve as deacons if they prove to be blameless. So we understand the testing to be this examination of a person's life, looking to see what their character is like. We want to care for the individual, we want to care for the church. What we don't want to do is to install people in a position and then a few months down the line to say, actually, no, we need to take them out because they didn't match the, the kind of, they, um, they didn't fulfill the qualifications and criteria. We want to do that beforehand. Um, then. Final few thoughts. It seems that Paul goes back to the men. He says, if they're married, they're to be the husband of one wife. That's literally translated as being a one-woman man. That's, that's how it is. They're to be a one-woman man. Not just in the sense that they only have one wife, but also that they have the character of a one-woman man. They're to be faithful, men that are faithful to their wives, faithful in all things. They're also to manage their children and their household well. The home is a proving ground of Christian character. I read that somewhere thought that's great. The home is a proving of Christian character. So the way in which someone manages their household is a great indication of how they would manage responsibility within the church. And the results of being a deacon who serves well is that they will gain good standing. What that means is that they will gain, they'll be held in high regard within the church. They'll be respected. And they'll be appreciated. That's what Paul says. If deacons serve well, then that should, should happen. Serving well should also result in a deeper faith and a strengthening of their relationship with Jesus. So while they're to be a blessing to the church, as they serve the church, it'll be a blessing to the church, but for them, it also means that they will gain good standing among the church, and it should also result in a deeper faith and strengthening of their relationship with Jesus. So it's good for them also. So the question is, what next? So we've had these two weeks where we've been explaining where we've got to with deacons. As I say, we're still really keen to get feedback from you if there's questions that you want answered, things you want clarifying, anything that you think is really positive, uh, anything that you've got concerns about, then please do keep feeding back to us. But 
the, the next thing really that we see for us is to identify the areas of need within the church where deacons could serve. We want to look for those areas where having deacons would be a real blessing to the church and would be, a, uh, would be of real benefit. Part of this will involve Mike and me looking at what things that we are currently doing, the things that we're currently holding on to that should be being passed on to other people. Things that would free us up to, and, and allow us to give ourselves to, to, the, to prayer and to teaching of the word and to pastoring and shepherding, those kind of things. So there'll be partly, will be that, identifying areas of service that, that deacons could be installed in. The other thing, which is why we've been talking about this today, is actually to start identifying potential deacons. Identifying people that fulfill those qualifications and those criteria. We're still looking into quite how this is going to work itself out and over the coming weeks we'll keep you updated with where we're at on that in terms of how that process will work. I can't give you a definitive answer on that. We're still kind of working that through. But we felt we just needed to tell you where we're up to at this point. But one thing we want to say is that this isn't going to be the sort of thing where all of a sudden in one week we're going to have like five or six deacons suddenly in the church. This is going to be an ongoing sort of process that we're looking at could be that we have one or two people brought in to start and then as we recognise different areas of need we'll be looking to bring people in or there might be movement around as well so it's all uh, still kind of fairly fluid in that sense it will be an ongoing process that we keep coming back to and keep looking at so can we have the band up please